I think you get so yeah. trained to think, oh, what do they want me to yeah. say? Who do they want me to be in order to win some situation yeah. over or some people over? And so you actually forget what it is that yeah. you really want. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. I'm here with three incredible women. And by the way, this is the first time we've ever had three guests here all at once, which already the conversation that started before we started rolling here was fantastic. So I'm really excited about this. Naomi Watts, the star of Gypsy. Lisa Rubin, the creator, writer, and executive producer of Gypsy, and Liza Chasen, the president of Working Title Films and an executive producer of Gypsy. First off, welcome to No Limits. Thanks for having us. Lisa, you're the creator. This was one of your first major projects, and to bring the whole thing together on Netflix must have been a massive feat. Yes. I mean, we built, I mean, the whole process is like still kind of surreal to me, but I think it was like we built such an amazing team. And I mean, I'm so proud of how many women are involved in the show on screen and off screen. It's it's like a point of personal pride and also just I think makes makes everything sort of better. I think that, you know, there's an authenticity to the project that was really important to me. And um, and yeah, I I feel like every step of the way it like came closer and closer to being real. And like all I wanted was to be able to tell this story. Anyone who knows me knows how passionate I am about the show and and flawed, strong women and being able to see that depicted so that we're not just cycling the same stories over and over. And, you know, with the help of so many people, both of these women included, you know, this dream was kind of realized. Naomi, you play a very complex role, I think. And I I love that it's complex because it's so infrequent that we see women in anything playing roles as complex as the one that you play. Yeah, and that was obviously the the draw card for me, um, amongst other things. But the women I choose to surround myself with are, are complex women and fascinating and multi-layered and have um, live with contradictions and have desires and fantasies and dark thoughts. And, you know, so why can't we put that on the screen? Liza, as president of Working Title Films and executive producer on this project, you, you've seen the industry. Why do you think it is that <laughs> that this kind of project is such a novelty that it's like a new thing right now. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a curveball. Thanks. For that. <laughs> you yeah. got the big question. <laughs> yeah, she, exactly. She can handle it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Women, you know, are flawed. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe it's been, you know, a male-driven industry, not unlike most big industry. And, mm. you know, we've been looking through that lens literally and figuratively i think since the you know sort of since the start of cinema um and that's changing thankfully and ted sarandos from netflix had a quote the other day that i think is one of my like new favorite quotes that i'm just going to keep quoting which is um in in reference to netflix he said you know it's you know a home for kick-ass women and we hire women executives who then hire women filmmakers who then hire women creators actors etc and i think i think it's very important and you know my my th- my take on that is yes women should hire women but you know everyone should hire women mm-hmm. i mean what what are we doing 
Well, and even behind the scenes on this project, there were there was a huge number of women I read that even a lot of the roles that sometimes might get filled by extras that would be men, mm-hmm. yeah. you made a yeah. choice to fill them with women as well. Yes, definitely. I mean, again, I just think like, you know, there's a lot of reversal in Gypsy. And I think usually the male roles are played by women. Potentially the opposite is true as well. But I think that it's nothing against men. Like, I hope men watch the show and there's a lot of sex and they think it's sex <laughs> whatever. It's true. But... But what was really important to me... I'm glad you threw that in for the men. Yeah. Because that's what they needed. They needed. I'm sure sure they do. So Mm -hmm. they can watch for that. But I think for women, you know, the idea of feeling like you can see somebody that you can relate to, that you're not alone in some of your thoughts. I think so many women feel like they're supposed to be the sort of picture of nurturing and sweet and all of these things that we're sort of told and we see in movies and television again and again. And I think just the idea of seeing a woman who some people could think, you know, is messy and vulnerable and potentially, you know, has has darker impulses. I think that's just honest. I don't think it's really revelatory. I think like Naomi said, those are the women I know. That's my experiences. It's it's people, people around us. And that's just like, so it's just actually being honest, you know, and not trying to say, well, every woman has to be likable. I don't, I don't, not all men have to be likable. So, you know. Naomi, you started your life in England. Mm-hmm. Your mom, I read, was an antique dealer. Many things, but yes, <laughs> I did go around many flea markets with her, <laughs> buying and selling um, things, and she's uh, yeah continues to do that. And your father was a road manager who yeah. worked with Pink Floyd. Correct. So when you think about your career uh, coming from that place and looking at roles today. How have you approached these choices? Because so many women look up to you and you have always chosen roles, I think, that are diverse and intriguing. How do you think through those choices? Well, it's there's so many things that factor into making the choice to um, being a part of um, a, a movie or TV show and uh, and it's different. It varies. Um, so sometimes it's really about timing, um, what you're ready for, what speaks to you in that certain moment, what you've just done, and what you want to consider next. And um, often it's about the filmmaker. I do think film is very much a filmmaker, uh, a director's medium. So you kind of have to rely on the director elevating the material. If it's you know just a good script, he can make it brilliant. And if he's um, if he's a weak director, he could make a good script not good. So, um, so I, I rely on. Um, I, I very much factor in the filmmaker, and you know where you're shooting, all those legit logistics. Um, but I would say, um, if there's any th- repetitive theme in in the work I do, it, identity is a big thing that um, keeps coming back to me. Um, life and death kind of mm-hmm. situations um and uh and definitely gypsy was emblematic of of you know the whole identity crisis thing and you know this is to me it's sort of like a cautionary tale of a woman who has everything and it's yet it's not enough and and i think so many of us dream of you know having jean's life and would think they would feel safe um by having everything quote unquote but it's it's kind of the opposite she's stalling out and um is uh is feeling suffocated not safe um in that environment and and so i think 
for women at home who fantasize about, you know, what they could have or what they couldn't have. This is this is a way of them exploring that um, through Jean and seeing that, you know, those dark thoughts and those desires are fun to have and play with. But do we need to act upon them? Mm, that's a good point. I think also you, you touched on something, this idea of having it all and what it actually looks like to have it all. Yeah, we talk a lot. It's funny. And even with Gypsy and in general about like the dream itself, the want itself is often the thing that's exciting. Getting it, then you're like, yeah, you're like, now what? Or, you know, it's it's not, I think sometimes it's emptier than you think. I think you chase these ideas, but they're not necessarily fulfilling. Um, and so I think it's that's a very universal thing, regardless of what field you're in. It's that thing of like, you know, like, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have something to add. I just I think we hopefully never put a ceiling on anything because yeah. for me, the quest is just endless. And like, that's what keeps us going every day is that the continuing curiosity and need to find more, express more, create more, you know, and I just I think like. It's one of those things where you'll never get to the end of the road, I hope. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you've gotten to the end of the road, yeah. <laughs> excuse my language, but you know, it's like, well, I think, I think, that's, I think like. that's where we are with mm -hmm. this character and why it's so interesting is that this is it. Yeah. Is, the, is this it? And, right. You know, that that yearning mm -hmm. is still there. But I also think it's very human yeah. um, to want what you don't have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think anyone is above that. Um, no way. So how do you and I, I throw this out to the group because it is, I, I feel like it's kind of a, it's a deep question, but it might not immediately come to you. How do you define success for yourself personally? Big question. It yeah, is a really hard. big question. Happiness. Yeah. Happiness. Peace. Like mm -hmm. being present and being able mm -hmm. to enjoy what you have, whatever that is. It's really hard to do. No cell signal. <laughs> yeah, no really cell hard. signal. <laughs> What, at what no, point? No cell signal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Just, yeah. It's not one of those questions. Probably, at least, I don't think about every day. Like, how do I define success for myself? But, but I do wonder at if if there was a moment for any of you where you came to realize that that was sort of your personal definition. You said happiness, Liza, mm -hmm. um, and and I I feel the same way. For me, success is about happiness. Am I really happy? Yeah. But if you asked me that question when I was early on in my career, I probably would wouldn't have answered it that way. I think um, being comfortable with who you are is, is a big reason to feel successful, which I don't, by the way. But I think that, that raises such an interesting yeah. point because we so many women um, and, and men that I speak to, um, women specifically on No Limits, talk about this idea of I spent so much of my early career trying to live up to something that other people were expecting of me. And the moment things really started clicking was the time I decided, you know what, I'm just playing me. Like, yeah. I know right. you're an actor, so you yeah. play the character, but yeah. but like you're going to do it the way you're going to do it. And if you make those choices and you follow that instinct, that's when that's when the fireworks happen. Yeah. Well, you can't define it in, you know, in the way that other people will judge you or see you. I mean, that's yeah, the thing you always say, the theme, front facing. Exactly. A huge theme in Gypsy is like yeah. public versus private. And the idea that, you know, with Jean and in general... We all have to be on. You have to sort of give all the right answers to do all the right yeah. things. And part of it is, well, that's what you should do. But the question mm -hmm. is like, you know, what do you really want and who are you really underneath all of that? 
And I think that's like, you know, people are probably searching for that their whole lives. Yeah. Also, how many miserable, successful, just... so-called successful right. people do you know? You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. just a, it's just a yeah. presentation of success. I think you get so yeah. trained to think, oh, what do they want me to yeah. say? Who do they want me to be in order to win some situation yeah. over or some people over? And so you actually forget what it is that, yeah. you know, you really want and, mm -hmm. you know, feel. How do you how do you come yeah. back to that? Have any of you had an aha moment? I think for me, like, because I moved to L.A. only recently and from here much, in New York, from New York. Yeah. And I very much sort of obviously was not part of that whole system, not part of that world. And I think I even saw like I was getting sucked into things or, or just and, and barely. But like, you know, that maybe our values I don't have. And I think for me, it's like coming back to like, OK, like. I'm a very grounded person. I have very good values. I have a very strong family, like in terms of values. And that's really important to me to be like, okay, like while you're getting consumed with all these things, you have to come back to sort of the basics and who you are and who's, who are real people in your life who are actually, you know, genuine and remembering all those things. I think you're like, oh, okay, like I'm going to be fine. You know, that's hard to do though. Yeah. I mean, I, I really respect you for sharing that because I think it, it's vulnerable to be honest about there's that success and everything that comes with it and Hollywood, my business, any business, frankly, once you get to these upper echelons, there are things you see <clears throat> that are kind of like, huh, Yeah, I don't know if that's really the world that I want to be a part of. Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, it's like you meet the right people. I think you can go in a world and, and you both know and you meet you, the wrong people that are pu pushed in a direction that's not really you. And I think for me, it's like trying to know, okay, like, Am I doing this for the right reasons? And one thing I can say, I say it a lot about Gypsy. I feel like everyone that's involved signed up for the right reasons. It was all about this is an important story we want to tell. It's a dialogue we want to be having. There was no, I, I feel like part of what the spirit on set was so nice and was there was such camaraderie and part of that was that I think everyone was there for the right reasons. So one of the things that I really want to get to is kind of as you think about your current roles inside of Gypsy, how did you actually, what were the steps that you took to get there? Because I, I'm sure, and I, obviously as a journalist, it's a very different role than as an actor. But when I was a kid looking at journalists on television, I was like, wait, how would I ever do that? And it was a dream, but I had literally no guidebook or, or understanding of how to get there. I grew up in a family that were all obviously very artistic. And um, I knew very early on that I couldn't paint. I couldn't really do things with my hands um, and yet everyone else could like not just my nuclear family but those the aunts and the cousins and the you know on both sides and I felt really about that and um, I, was there pressure to be good at those things well yes and kind of because you just wanted to feel like you belonged and um, I remember once coming home with a, a a really great picture that I'd drawn at school and no one believed that it was really me. No. It had to have been my teacher or, you know, because really I was sad. clearly obviously not the artist in the family. And, you know, I didn't know, you know, what, it, I mean, I knew that I would enjoyed being in school plays and things, but I didn't know that, you know, that was going to lead me to some kind of artistic career, like of, of any kind. I didn't know what an actor really was. I just knew that it was fun to get up on the stage and perform and and make people laugh and and you know, amanar and cry and whatever, move them. 
And so, um, but I do remember, you know, my grandmother saying, get up on the stool, sing a song, or, you know, which I was also really bad at. I couldn't sing. Um, but, um, yeah, it wasn't until much later that I, I understood that I had something that worked for me and made me feel like I did have, um, you know, artistry in my blood, um, so to speak. And, um, so but then as soon as I realized that, uh, yeah, I watched many careers of, of, you know, fantastic actresses along the way and and followed them and, and was inspired by them. And here I am. How did, what was the very first step or the most critical step you think you took to, to eventually get you to this place where you are now? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> the obvious one would, would be the David Lynch, right. Mulholland Drive yeah. turn. How did you get yourself even in a position to have that opportunity? Um, well, David Lynch recognized something in me, and I had been sort of moving around Hollywood for a good decade trying to win people over yeah. doing what I was speaking about before. What do you want me to do? Who should I be? Should I be sexy? Should I be funny? Should I be cold ice queen? Should I be, mm-hmm. you know, badass action woman? Who do you want me to be? And like, then tell like, me, I'll do yeah, it for you. Yeah. And then you, I think freak people out in the process and <laughs> I would never walk in as myself. Mm. Um, and you know, if you don't always have a full understanding of what the character is that they, um, you know, so you've got like three pieces of paper that you have to read from, you know, how do you, how do you put it all together and give them what they want? And, you know, and I would walk in the room slightly edgy and intense and like I said, freak people out. But David Lynch, I walked in the room and he wasn't asking me to read anything. Thank God. Cause I think I got to the point where I was just a terrible auditioner. Um, and, um, and he just spoke to me and he looked into me into my eyes and I felt like he just connected with me and wanted to see me and so you know each I um I he just unveiled all these masks in a way and um and he he's just that kind of guy he beams energy into you and then some you know your best self comes comes out and um and then he just gave me the role of a lifetime you know so that was the changing point Thank you for sharing that. I'm, and I'm really happy you did. Lisa, for you, this is, I mean, to to, to have Gypsy as one of your first really big projects is, yeah, I mean, my first, like, yeah. how did that even happen? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's like a long and, and complicated story, but in a, in a nutshell, I feel like, you know, it's interesting because growing up, I always, I always, um, like to write things, but mostly I grew up in outside New York City, so it was all theater. I didn't know anyone in TV and movies. That did not seem at all possible. I didn't. I didn't have any connections to Hollywood. I didn't. My family was like, you know, I would do the school plays and I would write like plays and short stories, but like that wasn't practical. So that wasn't going to really be a career path. And then I was like, well, you know, how many people get to be novelists? Like twelve people. You see, like how many novels nowadays? So it's like, you know, how and you know, and and I had a lot of pressure from my mom and my and my sisters who were both on very sort of clear tracks that like I should do something you know that equally was practical it's all sisters uh-huh i have two older sisters and um and so yeah a lot of women in my family and um and so you know it was that thing of okay well you know i love english i love writing um and i love characters and i've always sort of been interested especially in women and 
I, um, and so it was like, okay, well, what am I going to be? You know, and there's that thing of like, I think in Avenue Q, it's like, what do you do with a BA in English? I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be. And I took a screenwriting class and, you know, one of the professors was basically like, you should go to film school. You have such a strong voice. You should nurture it. And so I ended up going to Columbia Film School in New York, studying there and you sort of study everything and, you know, and they kept sort of hammering in. You should write what you're passionate about, write what you feel like you, the story you have to tell. And, um, and so I wrote a bunch of stuff there. And then when I came out to LA, um, I, I wrote Gypsy actually, like in the first few months that I was out there now, just about, I think now like three years ago that I wrote it. And, um, and you know, it was like, I'm a big believer in like, you know, in, I have a really strong work ethic and I think, you know, you put your head down, you do the work. And so every step mm -hmm. of the way, it was like, you need a great producer. Okay. Then you need a great director. Then you need a great actor. How actress. do you so find that? You go on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. I probably would have done that if no. I, I that's a kind of amazing. I feel like people don't use LinkedIn me. anymore. Like maybe they do. I don't know. Yeah, they do. I think I used I think to be on do. it. Yeah. Well, no, no. I um I moved to LA and like I said, I you know, and I was taking all these meetings with managers. I entered all these mm -hmm. writing contests. I won a few, but I didn't really meet anyone through that. And um and then, you know, through some circuitous route, through an assistant, through a friend's girlfriend, whatever it was. They read my my feature and um, and then I signed with my agents and actually my first meeting with my agents I pitched Gypsy and my TV agent said you should write that so I just I went off and I wrote it and um, and then we slowly took it out into the world and it was like really it was like a step by step thing until you know it all came together. Liza, you have an incredible list of film credits behind you. Thank I you. will list all of them. In a, Please don't. Uh, Tell me, how did what what did you do to get to this point? The number one thing, the most critical thing, hard work. Yeah, I mean, I also like Lisa come from a family that appreciates and celebrates the arts, but you don't do that. You go to law school, <laughs> um, and so I went to film school. You know, that was an interesting and that was my rebellious. Sure. That was my rebellious move, and then I worked in a bar, which was my second rebellious move. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a little bit of luck and timing and totally like unrelenting perseverance. We have time for one yeah. last question. Worst advice you've been given? Mine was I was 26 years old going to a very important meeting and I was told by a man wear a low cut blouse. Gross. Did you wear it? No, I didn't wear it. I did wear I wore no, I did so. I did actually think about it and then I and then obviously, you know, that was the beginning of my becoming a sort of raging feminist. Yeah. Yay. That's a good It was the worst, but it was for all yeah. of us. Yeah. Like, I, can't think I know. Of yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible with the anecdotes. Yeah. Um Okay, I mean, I guess on topic, I just say that I think the idea I was told a lot like starting out as a writer, you should write what sells, write what sells, mm -hmm. write what and again, the sort of advice about, no, like, you know, write what you need to know, write what you're passionate about. And if that comes through, you know, that will speak to somebody. And so I think that was, well, that was kind of good advice. Yeah, but yeah. but the bad advice was, yes, to write right, just for said. commercial and for what, yeah, I think you can always see it in the script. Thank you to all of you thank and, you. and thank continued you. success. Naomi, Lisa, Liza, thank you. Thank you. Thanks Appreciate you joining us. us. Thanks so much. And now for this week's No Limits Entrepreneur. Carolyn McRae is a marketing director for a startup based in Boston who has always been passionate about helping the elderly. So in her spare time, she created The Silver Post, an online subscription service that helps you stay in touch with your loved ones. Launched earlier this year, 
Subscribers pay $5 each month and can text a photo and message to the Silver Post, which then creates and mails a physical postcard to the recipient. Carolyn created the idea out of her passion for reducing elderly loneliness and a realization that a lot of elderly people just don't use social media. Carolyn was nominated by her sister, Grace. I love that. Thank you both for being a part of the No Limits community and for following your passion. If you or someone you know wants to be featured here as a No Limits entrepreneur, send your nominations to no limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to reading your submissions. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.